Hello and welcome to the Pulpiteer Podcast, an audio online ministry of Pastor Andy Kroll and St. John's Pilgrim United Methodist Church. You can visit us online at pilgrimunchurch.com or you can visit my blog at thepulpiteer.com for more sermons and writing. We are looking at Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to read verses 34 to 40. So Matthew 22, 34 to 40. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus said, oh, I should pause there, sorry. It just got going in and then I stopped. Um, this Matthew 22 is an interesting thing going on here. There's uh, different parties within Judaism are trying to trap Jesus. And the, the Herodians, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, interesting thing um, these three groups of people did not get along. So it's kind of one of the miracles of Jesus that isn't often talked about is how Jesus brought very different people together to hate him. And so that's one thing. Imagine if like Nancy Pelosi and Donald Trump get together because they're after someone together. Like it's like that big a deal. It's a miracle that Jesus is working, bringing former enemies together as friends. Um, so they're trying to trick him here. And this is uh, one of those traps. They're trying to trap him with the law here. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question in order to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. A second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Keep your Bibles open. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Almighty God, faithful God, Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart would be an acceptable sacrifice to you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. All right, we're continuing to look at what is the the character of a Methodist as we're uh, just reminding ourselves what it means to be Methodist, what it means to be a Methodist Christian, I I should say. And and so with that, we're uh, just, I'm pulling out pieces of uh, writing that John Wesley did called The Character of a Methodist. And today, um, one of the things he wrote was, a Methodist is one who loves the Lord, his God, with all his heart. Again, this is old way of doing English, so the, it's his, her, right? Both persons, okay. A Methodist is one who loves the Lord, his God, with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, and with all his strength. You may hear that, and you may think, well, wait a second. To describe a Methodist, he's just, he's just using the Bible. He's cheating. He's using Jesus' words. Say, yes, that, that, was the, that was a good move on his point. He's not inventing something new. He's just trying to say, look, this is what it means uh, to be a Christian, and so this is what a Methodist is going to be about, loving God with your whole heart and soul and mind and strength. And then, and loving God, he loves his neighbor as himself. He loves every person as his own soul. This loving God and this love of God was a big part uh, within Wesleyan teaching um, because it was a big part for Jesus. And uh, within the Wesleyan understanding of holiness, of being made holy, the love of God is a big part of that because it's the, the thought is and the goal is that God would so transform your heart that you're so full of the love of God that there's really not room for anything else and that that love of God would spill over into the love of other people. And so today we're going to look at this uh, loving God and loving others and we're going to look, consider three things. First is what is love? What does that mean? Um, the second is we're going to look at how these commandments are connected, loving God and loving others, and see how they're connected to each other. And third, we're going to look at a false choice that's often presented that, that we don't really have to take. So first is, what is love? Because it's all fine and good 
to say, hey, you need to love God and you need to love other people, but what does it even mean? People mean all sorts of different things by love. And, and actually, it's all of us here probably have different ideas, different actions, different um, motions or interactions, that sort of stuff. In fact, um, I don't know if you've found this out, but for those of you who have been in, uh, maybe been married for a while, maybe you've discovered this, um, two different people can have different meanings in their minds in regards to words, or two different people can experience the same event and interpret it in a very different way. Has anyone discovered this? Right? And so um, that's one of the, so within, uh, with my, my background is family systems theory and counseling, Bowen family systems theory. And with that, um, we look at uh, each kind of, uh, each person comes from a family, a family system, a, a family of origin, and then you're part of a workplace is kind of its own kind of emotional system and, and, and so on. And, and when you get married, you're starting your own kind of emotional family system. But each one is like its own kind of subculture. Um, it has different values. It values different things. It has different unwritten rules. People play different roles in their family. It's like a, it's like a, a, a connected kind of organism where it's in a balance together. It's in a homeostasis. And for that to work in each family system, people play different roles and they value different things. And there's different unwritten rules to not rock the boat and, that, and that, so on and so forth. Which means that you could grow up next door to each other. But it's almost like you're coming from two different subcultures within the same city, county, state, country, and so on, which is kind of a, a, a fascinating thing. And so as we look at that, as we think about what does it mean when you say love, or how is love played out, or what's, you know, when Jesus says you know, to love your neighbors yourself, what does that even mean? Well, as, uh, let's take an example of this family system stuff, of, of the values and that sort of thing. Let's say there's two people, a happy couple. Look how happy they look. They... Uh, Say so they get married, and, and early on in their marriage, um, dinner's prepared, and they sit down and eat. And then after dinner, one of them gets up, leaves all the plates and everything, and goes and sits down and turns on the TV, right? Let's see, that happens. Shame on you for assuming it's the guy, by the way. <laughs> but let's say it's the guy. All right. In his uh, family of origin, let's say in his family of origin, um, there's a, a role that's played, and there's one person in the role we'll call the cleaner. And the cleaner is the one who just tends to pick up after things. And so everybody else in that family system, they may have different roles. Maybe the cleaner gets value from their role. Maybe they're just an overfunctioner for the underfunctioning family. Whatever it may be, there's the role of the cleaner and then everyone else. And so what that means is for these kids... Um, they may not even realize that cleaning happens. I don't know if they know the dish fairy comes or whatever the case may be, but they're not even going to think about it. There's no value system behind it. They're not um, attributing any sort of meaning behind it. It's just we eat, we walk away, the dishes get cleaned. That's as deep as it goes, okay? And so for this sort of family system, that's what's going on. That's the sort of value that it's just a role that someone plays. For the other family system, let's say, let's say in that family system, for the cleaning stuff, it's not about roles, Instead, for the cleaning stuff, it's about um, values that are attached to the physical actions that happen. And so in that, let's say in, in this particular family, it's communicated that cleaning up after yourself or helping someone else clean up or working when you see someone else working, that has a value attached to it. So a responsible person does this. Or a, if you are respectful, then you take care of your stuff. Or if you love your family, then you pick up after yourself. So you, so you see that within that, that action, for this particular family, the unwritten rule is there are, there are values attached to that action. 
Now, are there values attached to the action for the first guy? No, he just goes and sits down and somebody cleans up. It's really that simple. So, when she comes to him, how does she feel about him not cleaning out the dishes? You didn't love me. You don't respect me. Whatever it may be, because it's from the family of origin. It's this subculture that's going on. And he's probably thinking, where are you coming from on this? I bought you flowers for Valentine's Day, right? And so it's, it's, they're missing each other because they're coming from two different subcultures. And those two different subcultures not only communicate differently, but interpret reality differently. They interpret, they interpret one event in very different ways. So if that's the case, then you can see that different people are going to see things like love, and they're going to have a bunch of different, um, not only values attached to that, but actions and things like that. They're going to interpret it very differently. Well, if that's the case, just on a family level, and that happens at a, a subconscious level, it's not something where your family sits you down and says, here's our unwritten family rules. If that's the case, then doesn't it make sense that a culture would impact how we see something like love? And it would do it in a way that we're not aware of. Kind of, it would impact us in ways that we're not clued into, and it would shape our definition of the understanding of love. And with that being the case, wouldn't it be fair to say that it is very possible that when you say love your neighbor to a 21st century American person, that what comes to their mind may be very different than when you say love your neighbor to a first century Palestinian Jew? Doesn't it make sense that there might be a whole different value system associated with that? Well, if that's the case then how do we know what love is? Where do we get um, our instruction as far as what we're supposed to do and what that's supposed to look like? Well, that's where this conversation is, is really fascinating. Jesus says in verse 40, he says, On these two commandments, loving God and loving others, hang the law on the prophets. And so what he's saying there is, look, if you want to understand, this is what the law and the prophets are about. They're about loving God and loving others. These are the things you do to love God. These are the things you do to love others. This is what loving God and loving others means. This is what it looks like. This is giving you pictures for it, whether it's in the law or stories about how that looks or stories about how it doesn't look, that sort of stuff. The law and the prophets, all of that is sorted into loving God and loving others. Maybe you've heard uh, people have broken down the Ten Commandments, for example, in the first four commandments as, as loving God, and then the next six is loving others. So You'll have no other God before me. You'll make no idols. You'll not use the Lord's name in vain. All those things are loving God. And then you don't steal, you don't lie, you don't, you don't uh, kill, that sort of stuff. That's to love your neighbors. And then um, the rest of the commandments are kind of expounding upon those is one way to, to look at the whole thing, loving God and loving others. R.T. France, who wrote a commentary on Matthew, says um, those rules in the Law and the Prophets, those rules find their role and working out the practical implications of the love of God and neighbor on which they are based. The reality is that uh, when we say love somebody, that's a nice idea in theory. And it can be kind of fluffy and, and think, uh, but the practical implications of that is where it gets tricky. What does it look like? Because um, sometimes it's more challenging than others, and sometimes it's, it's hard to even know um, what is the most loving action to do in this particular situation. He's saying, look, if you want to know, like we are given instruction as far as what loving God and loving others looks like. Jesus, of course, uh, said in John chapter 14, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so we're instructed as to what love looks like. 
And uh, that instruction I would suggest, as I, as I usually do, if you're reading Scripture and it's telling you how to make your neighbor better, you're reading it wrong, right? Like, this stuff ought to impact us. And so we ought to be challenged to adjust our understanding of love and our understanding of obedience and holiness based off of Scripture as it, as it transforms us. That's the first thing, what is love and that sort of thing. Second thing we're looking at is, is loving God and loving others are, are two connected ideas. We see this immediately in Scripture. In general, I mean, not only here is Jesus connects them, so that's a pretty good lead. Way to go, Andy. Just say what Jesus did. I mean, that's really the goal, right? It's like, oh, Jesus says they're connected, so profound thing, they're connected. Anyway, we see them connected immediately in Scripture in Genesis. Um, as we look at Genesis, we go to Adam and Eve, and, and uh, as soon as Adam and Eve sin, that's uh, what that's representing, right? That sin, this broken relationship between them and God. So this vertical relationship between humankind and God is now impacted, it's now broken. And as soon as that vertical relationship between humankind and God is broken, the first thing that happens is they get fig leaves to cover themselves because they're, they're, they realize they're naked. Now they know that they've got something to cover. They've got something to hide. Like there's, it's a brokenness in the relationship between each other. So you notice the, the relationship with God, as soon as that's broken, it never necessarily impacts the relationship with other people. You see it in the curse in Genesis 3, um, where the Lord tells the woman that you will uh, desire your husband and he will lord it over you. And so we see immediately that the tension between the sexes is, is rooted in sin, and that as our sin has broken our relationship with God, it automatically impacts our relationship with other people. You see it as you continue in Genesis 4, where you have Cain and Abel as brothers, and Cain kills Abel, which for the record is not loving, like that's not the loving thing to do. Um, And so you see again this broken relationship with God, this broken um, vertical relationship impacts the horizontal relationship. And that vertical relationship is primary, it's foundational, like it's the thing that's the foundation for the the way the other loving part works. We need that relationship with God repaired, because if we don't have that brokenness with God repaired, then we are broken and we are not able to love other people like we're supposed to. The first step is like that relationship with God has to be repaired, that vertical relationship has to be repaired, because you can't just have... You can't uh, just have more rules on how to fix the problem. If you're broken in here and then you get a bunch of rules, all the rules do is they show you where you're failing. And that's kind of, uh, that's Paul's argument in, in Scripture. Why we need grace and why we need the forgiveness that Christ offered us because the law just shows you where you've messed up. You can have all these rules on how to love other people and then you just see how, how far you've fallen short. The, the law doesn't fix the problem, it just shows it. And, and also with the rules, the Pharisees demonstrate that you can focus so much on the rules that you lose sight of what the whole deal is. And the whole deal is, Jesus says, the law and the prophets hang on this, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Like, it's about that. And you can lose that picture if you just focus on the rules. What needs to happen is that relationship with God needs to be healed to impact. Now, as I'm doing this with my arms, right, you notice it's, like a, it's almost like a cross shape. Jesus comes to heal that brokenness in us. Jesus comes to not only offer God's forgiveness to us, but to repair that relationship that has been broken um, by humankind in sin. And as Jesus repairs that relationship in us with God, then we are able to love our neighbors as we are called to do. That relationship is primary. You're not able to love your neighbors as you're called to do. Um, You need to be healed by God first 
But then the other thing is, if you are healed by God, if you are really full of the love of God, then you have to love your neighbors. It spills, it just, it's a natural thing that happens. Like you can't say that you love the Lord your God and then not love the people that God loves. And so those things are connected. The primary thing, the foundation is loving God and then that spills out into our love of others. Which then gets into this false dichotomy that we have or false, this fancy word for false choice. A lot of, uh, for some reason, things tend towards a, a false choice where they'll say, either you love God or love others. Or you'll hear it in another way. They'll say, well, there's personal holiness um, versus social action or mercy. You see it play out in, in church uh, politics. You see it play out in secular politics. It seems like, it seems like the, a lot of times there's two sides presented and you can either have high standards for personal behavior or claim high values of charity. But it seems like never the tween shall meet. It, just, it seems like those are the two options. And, and I would just say that's, that's, not, that's a false choice. In Scripture, they go together. Notice John Wesley writes, and loving God, he loves his neighbor. Like, love of neighbor flows from loving God. They cannot be disconnected. You cannot properly love your neighbor without love of God. And if you're not loving your neighbor, are you really loving God? And one of the reasons that I believe the Methodist voice is so crucial when it is healthy, the reason I think that God has raised up Methodism and it has, a, it has something to contribute to the greater church today, is when Methodism is healthy, it brings together the love of God and the love of other in a powerful way. That is why Methodist holiness folks, and, and let me be clear what I mean by that. By holiness folks, I mean people that believe that the Holy Spirit transformed them so that they were living holy lives. Like they would meet together in bands and they would confess their sins to one another, challenge one another to live more holy lives, and their lives would be transformed. Like they would have a personal holiness. Those holiness folks would also then go out and fight against slavery because they would see, as John Wesley wrote, that here you have someone created in the image of God that is being treated horribly. And the only way they could respond to that because they have the love of God filling them is to go out and argue against that. That's why the people who are holiness folks would go out and they would serve the poor because they would see somebody created in the image of God that God loves and that love spills out from them onto those other people. That's why those people filled with the love of God and the holiness of God would go visit folks in prison. That's, this, this is part of our Methodist heritage. And it's a beautiful thing. And those same people, again, would gather together and have testimonies of how God had made them holy, of entire sanctification and that sort of stuff. Um, it's a beautiful thing. The, the Methodist voice, I'm not saying this is the one true church. I'm just saying this is an important voice that God has raised up historically. And when it is healthy, it has something really powerful, I think, to contribute that, that is loyal to these dual commands that Jesus tells us to do, to love God and to love others. And we can be in the midst of a world that seems to be telling us that you have to choose either personal holiness or social action. And we can stand there and say, no, our Lord has called us to love God and loving God, we will love our neighbor. Right? Like that's a, 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 a powerful voice and I think a needed voice in the discourse today. So I want to close with this. Um, I want to close with what we're doing here at Pilgrim. When I think of Jesus' command to love our neighbors, I think of what our church is doing um, in a lot of places, but specifically uh, with our neighbors at the Meadows. So we've got, uh, you know, a, a trailer park community down the street 
And we have worked hard with them to build a relationship, and it's a, a beautiful thing. We are literally loving our neighbors. I, I'll, and I talk about it often because um, I'm proud of it, but also I think it's, a, it's, you feed what you want to grow. Like, this is a thing that we need to pay attention to. It's, it's outreach outside of our building, sharing the love of Jesus with our neighbors. It's literally what Jesus is telling us to do. And, uh, you know, I, I've told you before, but I just keep going back to this. We, the first year we did the trunk or treat, since they didn't know us from Adam's house cat, like, we go in there and they're like, well, you can, uh, I guess you can have four cars here in our parking lot to do the trunk or treat thing. And the clubhouse is locked, by the way. And, and we're like, that's fine. And then it rained. And, like, eight people showed up. Was, but Pilgrim did awesome. We kept loving them. We kept showing up. Kept helping out. We kept seeing what, what we could do. And, and as the trunk or treat gained steam, then we started to have residents from the meadows that wanted to be a part of the trunk or treat we were doing and serve alongside us. And then this past Halloween, I don't know if you remember, but it was rainy and cold. It was worst Halloween weather possible. And I was grumpy. We got kids that were doing trick or treating. They had like cardboard cutout things on their costumes. And like, I don't know if you are any scientists here, but cardboard and rain. Not good, and the cold was just a cherry on top. So I'm like grumpy, and I'm like, no one's going. They had to, no one's going to be at the meadows because it's cold, and they won't drive by and see us out there. And it just the grumpy Andy, pessimistic Andy. Bless Anne for putting up with me. And and we we go there, and of course the meadows had said, no, you need to use the clubhouse. We've opened that up. To, we have to have this. And and so we went in. The church did a beautiful job of setting up in there, and and they had hundreds of people go through. which helped Grumpy Andy. <laughs> and I get emotional because there's a distance travel there, right? There's a distance travel. I love that. You know, we've uh, served, uh, in the spring, we've planted flowers and cut grass and stuff because the whole thought is, um, if we believe in the resurrection of Christ and that Jesus Christ transforms us, then shouldn't we be a part of transformation in some, even in some simple way? And so let's make people's yards prettier and just love our neighbors. And so we started planting and weed whipping and mowing and, and all sorts of stuff down there. And we've done that enough years. This year, one of the things that stood out to me this year was residents from the, from the community coming up to us and saying thank you. And some of them would have like a leftover pizza gift certificate with like $8.38 left on it. They would take this and get yourself something. You're like, we don't need this. No, 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 we want to say thank you. And they say thank you for what you do for us here. Um, that reputation you earn, right? That's loving Jesus or loving people in Jesus' name um, and, and serving them. And, and so I love that. With that, then um, I was talking to I was talking to a guy, uh, one of the guys from our community. Uh, it's not part of this church. Small businessman. He's a big ideas guy. And so we were talking about stuff and, and uh, kind of community organizing stuff and things like that. And I was just sharing. So I get excited. So I share about you know at the meadows and and. Uh, and he was giving some ideas on, on how we could do that. And I said, you know, really, at the end of the day, I just, I just want to share Jesus' love with them. And he goes, well, you know, you are doing that. And you're going to do that. And then he gave me some more ideas. And I kind of paused afterwards. And I don't want to take that for granted because you hear what he did. He assumed that we are just going to continue doing, doing that. Why did he assume that? Because of who we are. We are in Jesus Christ and a faithful people. And so what are those people who love God going to do? They're going to share the love of Christ. And um, that's kind of a cool thing. When Wesley was asked, you know, it, you know, what's the character of a Methodist? He said, 
He loves the Lord as God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then, in loving God, a Methodist loves their neighbor as themselves. May that be who we are and continue to be and who God transforms us into being in the future. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen.